This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to start with a question this morning. So I want you to think about your biggest fear. What is that thing that terrifies you? You're running away from it. You're avoiding it. What is that thing? And I, I shared in the first service that I, I'm aware of somebody in church who's terrified of frogs. Apparently his wife must catch the frogs. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to expose him, but now he's given me permission. So he's the biggest, biggest man in church. And he's normally sitting in that corner in the first service. And his wife is catching the frogs. And he's not even, he said, Sonica, expose me. Tell them, you know, about this fear. So I want you to, to think about your biggest fear. What is that thing that you are avoiding, that you are terrified of. So if you can't think of anything, I'm going to help you because it's out there, I know. I'm going to give you a few ideas. They say there's 10 major fears. I think there's more. 10 major fears that keep us from doing what God wants us to do or fulfilling our potential or stepping out. First one is the fear of inadequacy. You feel you're not skilled enough, not equipped enough. The fear of uncertainty or the unknown, I relate to that one. You don't know what the future holds, so it creates fear. The fear of failure, a big one. The fear of rejection. The fear of missing out. All of us have some of that in our makeup. The fear of change, the fear of losing control, the fear of being judged. The fear of something bad happening and the fear of getting hurt. What about the fear of dying? What about the fear of public speaking? What I'm doing today, I was super scared of that for a very long time. I remember at school, I had two major fears. A lot of small ones as well, but two major ones. The first one was computers. I was terrified. You know, somehow I had this idea that I'm going to do something wrong and it's going to explode. Now, you must understand I matriculated in 1994. So it, it, you know, you must have some grace for my fear at that stage. Some of you weren't even born. How many of you weren't born in 1994? Yeah, exactly. You see what I'm talking about? You laugh at me, but if you matriculated in 1994, I tell you, you would have been afraid of computers in any case. My other big fear was speaking English. So I grew up in this Afrikaans town. There weren't an English people in sight. Not in a radius of like a hundred kilometers. And my, my English teacher at school was also Afrikaans speaking. So have grace for me for that as well. So my two biggest fears. So God knew I needed help. I knew I needed help. So God gave me a roommate at varsity. My first year he gave me a German girl who could speak English. And he said, Sonica, now, now or never, you have to humble yourself. So she taught me. She corrected me all the time. So praise God. It, I'm, I'm making progress. I mean, I'm making progress. And then what, what did God do with my fear of technology? He gave me a husband and a son who eat it for breakfast. You know, they just, you know, they don't think about technology. It, it just, you know, they just know what to do. I decided when I'm 80 years old, I'm going to ask my grandson to teach me everything. I'm not going to be afraid of technology. So the beauty, it's been two of my biggest fears. Today... I'm not scared anymore. It's not perfect. I know my English is far from perfect. And don't come and ask advice about computers. You know, don't come to me. But I'm not scared anymore. It is liberating. I know where I was. I know where I am now. 
and it's liberating. So the beauty is we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. This list, inadequacy, uncertainty, failure, rejection, missing out, change, all of those fears, you don't have to stay there. We can actually overcome it with the grace of God. So second question, if you can eliminate your greatest fear, how would you live differently? How would your life look differently if you can overcome your greatest fear? If I was still scared of speaking English, I was definitely not going to live in East London <laughs> because what a nightmare, you know, being afraid of English. I was definitely not going to speak today. You would not have heard me speak today. So if I did not overcome that, we, you know, my life would have looked very differently, very very differently today. So if you can eliminate your greatest fear, how would your life look differently? So think about that. I'm going to take you to a parable in Matthew 25. You know, Jesus used many, many, many parables, stories, illustrations of, of things so that he can, he can help us understand the kingdom. And there's so many parables that starts with the kingdom of heaven is like. And I love those ones because remember, we are citizens of heaven. Amen. We, we are foreigners in this world. It, it feels like home, but it isn't home. Heaven is our home, which means we are citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is an upside down kingdom. It doesn't make sense. And this is why Jesus taught so many parables by starting the kingdom of heaven is like. So I'm going to take you to one of those. So stay with me, right? We're gonna, I'm gonna read quite a few scriptures, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna unpack it. I'm gonna explain it. So stay with me. So Matthew 25, starting from verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately went on a journey. Now, just a bit of context. How many of you knew that talents that, that this parable is talking about is actually referring to money, real money? Okay, a few of you. It's not like playing cricket or tennis or playing the piano. This is money we're talking about, right? So one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. One denarius was worth a day's wages, so if we take our context in South Africa, minimum wage, 25, just over 25 rand an hour, comes to just over 200 rand per day for eight-hour job, one talent would have equaled 1.2 million rands. Okay? One, one denarius equals 6,000 denarii equals one talent. 1.2 million rand, which means even the one who received one talent it was quite significant. So put yourself in the master's position. Surely if somebody gives you 1.2 million rand and expect you to do something with it, you might be in trouble if you don't do anything with it, right? 1.2 million rand. This is what one talent was worth. Right, let's continue. Verse 16. Then you had received the five talents. He went and he traded with them made another five talents. Likewise, he had received two, gained two more also. But 
You had received one, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Then it says, verse 19, after a long time, and this is very significant for me in this parable, because I really believe God gives us many opportunities, many chances. He's not giving us something and within a week he expects us to produce or to change or to, you know, multiply it. He, it says, after a long time. We serve a God who I believe is going to give us multiple opportunities to respond to him, multiple opportunities to walk in obedience after a long time. And, and if we, you know, in our context today, I know, like I explained, the talents was actual money. But for us, let's think about it in the context of time, talents, and treasure, right? God gives to each one of us time, talents, and treasure, but he gives us a long time before he's going to settle accounts with us. So it says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. So I believe even though there's God's, God gives us many chances, many opportunities to respond or to multiply things or to walk in obedience, there will come a day when he's going to settle accounts with us. There will come a day. There will come a day when he's going to ask, what did you do? What did you do with this time, talent, treasure I have given you? So let's go to verse 20. So he who had received five talents came, and he brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And then he says this beautiful line, enter into the joy of the Lord, right? Same thing happened with the two. One received two, he multiplied it to two. And I want you to note something here. God is not celebrating success. He's not saying, wow, you've made so much money. Think what we can do with it. He's not celebrating success or riches or, you know, in a, in a worldly perspective, you know, what we would think success is. What is God celebrating here? Faithfulness, right? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to note this because often we look around and we think that is success. Even, even among Christians, think, wow, if you can do that, if you can pray and people get healed. We, 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 we measure success in many different ways, but Jesus is looking for faithfulness because when we are faithful, something happens. So let's continue. Well done, good and faithful servant. But, oh, there's a but. 24, then you received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. I was afraid. There's the reason why this, this person who received one, it might as well be in the person who received five. Okay, let's not assume that everybody who's get five is multiplying that. The, it, it's, it's coincidence that the one who received one didn't multiply it. So let's not assume that those who received one did, don't multiply and those who receive more always multiply, right? It could, could have been any one of them. And he says, I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, shame. I feel so sorry for you. You battled with fear all your life. 
You know, Jesus had so much compassion on this person. Do you think? I don't think so. You know, if I look at the words, you lazy and wicked servant, I don't hear much compassion there, right? Which is scary. But let me remind you again, after a long time, the master returned. I believe God gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to become free, to become healed, to become delivered, to surrender to him time after time after time. So he's gracious, he's good, he's compassionate, but there will be a day when he's going to settle accounts with us. And we need to know that. We need to understand that there will be a day of judgment or a day of settling accounts or a day we come before the Lord and he's going to ask us, what have you done with what I've given you? What have you done with what I've given you? So why, why do we talk about this, right? Let's, let's pause just for a moment. And, you know, I could have chosen many, many parables to talk about today. Why is this one important to pay attention to? I believe everything we do on this earth is going to impact how we live for eternity, which means this life is short, right? If, if you are a believer in Jesus, you understand that this life is going to come to an end. Life is going to split in two. There's going to be heaven. There's going to be hell. If you are a born-again believer, you're going to go to heaven. But depending on what you've done, what Jesus has given you, that will determine how you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So you can go to heaven, but depending on what you've done with what God has given you, that will determine what you do. Remember what, what Jesus said to the one who received five? He said, you've been faithful over a little, little. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. So if I think about it, I want to pay attention to this, right? We, I know we don't understand eternity, but it's going to be forever and ever and ever. It's going to be forever. So whatever we do on this earth, it's going to echo in eternity, right? I've made my point. This is why I'm talking about this. So how do we make sure? For those of you who are in, you agree, you know, this is important. How are we going to make sure we hear the words of Jesus? Well done, good and faithful servant, and not you wicked and lazy servant. Because it's not just a moment where we're going to either feel good or bad. No, it's going to be a moment that determines the rest of eternity, right? So I'm going to give you the answer. I want you to think about it, but I'm going to give you an answer anyway. I believe if we take what God has given to us, if we take time, talents, and treasure, and it says to each one according to his own ability, but if we take what God has given us and we mix it with two things, I really believe with all of my heart that we're going to get a wild and good and faithful servant in heaven. What are those two things? What is the opposite of fear? It's faith. So I believe faith is super important to mix with whatever time, talent, treasure God has given you. What's the other thing that's very obvious from the parable? Faithfulness. Yes. I can go home now. You understand everything. So if we take the time, talents, and treasure God has given us, we mix it with faith and faithfulness. With all of my heart, I believe we'll get a well-done, good, and faithful servant 
line from Jesus one day. And that's what I want. I don't know about you, but it, it's, my, it's my life call. It's my heart's desire to hear Jesus say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't mean I'm going to do everything perfect. It doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes. It's not what it's about. It's about faith and faithfulness, a combination and saying, God, this is what you've given me. Show me what to do with it. Amen. I want to take you to a scripture in Exodus, Exodus 4. Right? So picture I'm Moses I'm in the desert. It's the burning bush moment. Right? Moses has an encounter with God in the desert. Some of you might be familiar with the story. So there's a burning bush and there's a voice speaking. Crazy story. And God tells him, look, you need to go back to Egypt because he's been in the desert for 40 years. He's hiding, hiding away. And God says, you must go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses has a million questions. And I understand that. I would have had two million questions. You know? It's like, God, and what about this? And what about this? And I can't talk and I'm not sure. And, and this is one question Moses asks. So I want to take you to verse, verse one, chapter four, verse one, Exodus. So God presents to him the whole plan, right? Now Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. I mean, this is a valid question. Okay. What if some of you, you know, you spend time somewhere with God, all of a sudden there's a burning bush and a voice coming from the bush and it tells you to do something and you come, you come and tell all of us, we're like, hmm, was it a dream? Was it real? It's a burning bush. Okay. It's a voice in a burning bush. I think it's a crazy story. Anyway, the Bible is full of crazy stories. <laughs> Praise God. So, it's a valid question. But then what does God ask him? What is that in your hands? What is that in your hands? And he replied, a staff. So I want you to look at this, right? It doesn't, it doesn't look impressive. It doesn't look like a miracle working instrument. It doesn't look as if God can do anything with this. I mean, surely it's it's a staff. And I think this is how we often look at what God has given us. Time, talents, and treasure. We're like, really, God? It's small. It's insignificant. That, that, oh, go to that person. Look at their staff, you know, a golden staff or something. You know, we, we look at what God has given us and we're like, God is asking us, what is in your hand? And we say, it's a, it's a staff, Lord. You can see it's a staff. And the next moment, God says, throw it. On the ground. Even a more crazy story. It becomes a snake, right? Moses ran away from it. God says, grab it by the tail. He grabs it by the tail. It becomes a staff again. I mean, who's going to believe this crazy story? <laughs> okay, don't focus on the snake part for now. It's not really part of the message. But I need you to understand that God can do anything with those things He's given us, even if we think it's insignificant. Surely God had a reason why they had to become a staff because he had to speak the language of the Egyptians, right? There is a reason. It's not just a crazy story. But I need you to understand that we should not underestimate what God has given us. What is in your hands? It might look like a staff. But in the hands of God, it can become 
a testimony, can become a miracle-working instrument. It can become so much more. And this is why we need to take this and mix it with faith and faithfulness. Amen? And then all of a sudden, something ordinary becomes extraordinary. You know, God has given all of us time, talents, treasure. I'm going to repeat it a million times today that it gets, you go home. You can teach somebody else. What are we doing with it? Time, 24 hours a day, talents, giftings, you know, personality traits. Some of you are just good at doing something and somebody else can't do it at all, but they can do something else. Treasure. You know, treasure could be money. It could also be a friend or a spouse or a, a child or a, a job or an opportunity or education or something that's really precious to you or just an opportunity, you know. You know, going to school for our teenagers, you know, it feels, you know, who wants to go to school? Do you know how many people want to go to school, but for some reason they can't? It's something God gives you, a job, the ability to go to school, the opportunity to go to school. So how do we mix our time, talents, and treasure with faith and faithfulness? I'm going to give you four steps, right? You ready for it? First one, we have to speak to our fears. Remember the one who, who, who buried his talent? He was afraid. We have to learn to speak to our fears. You know, my dad was the vice principal of the school I attended for many years. And I was always curious, you know, why, why didn't he become the principal? Why didn't he pursue that? Or, you know, why didn't he talk about it? It's a dream. And he's now 76 years old. He's left that environment a long time ago. But a few years ago, I asked him, I said, Daddy, why, did you ever think about it? I think you would have been a really good principal of a school. And he was very honest. He said, I was afraid. He said, I was afraid. I was intimidated. I didn't think I can do it. So I never even tried. You know, and I, in that moment, I had this conversation with the Lord. I said, God, please help me. Please help me to never because of fear, not pursuing something. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying we should all become a principal of a school, right? I'm just saying sometimes fear dictates our decisions. Fear dictates what we pursue and what not. We bury things. We run away from things. This is why I asked you in the beginning, what's your greatest fear? And if you can eliminate it, how would you live differently? How would you live differently? You know, I did a sermon last year on fighting intimidation, something that's been very real for me all my life. So if you struggle with this, please, it was in August last year, please go and look for the sermon, Fighting Intimidation, right? We have to speak to our fears. Point number two, we have to stop comparing. We have to stop comparing ourselves with the one who received more, you know, those who look as if they are more able than we, you know. Um, Theodore Roosevelt, he had this quote, he said, comparison is the thief of joy, I cannot agree more. The moment we start comparing, we lose our joy. And when we lose our joy, we lose our strength, right? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And what does that mean? We don't have energy. We, we lose our energy. The moment we compare, we lose our joy, we lose our strength, we lose our energy, and we don't, we, we become passive. We become passive. You know, for, for many seasons in my life, I thought if I had a different personality type, I would be of more value to my husband and the church, right? I'm structured, I'm serious, I'm sensitive, 
you know, that kind of personality type. And I'm like, God, I just want to be spontaneous and, you know, being able to talk all the time. I don't talk a lot. Today is like, you know, I'm not going to talk for like five days after today. <laughs> I, I fit into a specific personality type and I really thought, God, this is, it could have been really a lot more beneficial if I had a different personality type. And God had to convince me, Sonica, stop it. Stop it. Your personality is a gift and you have to believe it. You know, and but this but <laughs> God did tell me it would be very beneficial for your joy levels to add two things to your personality type, which is not doesn't come natural for me, but God said, let's do this together. The one is, surprise, surprise, faith. You know, because I'm a detailed, for those of you detailed people, we have questions, right? We have questions. Now people come with these big ideas. I have questions, right? God said to me, it's okay to have questions. Make peace with it. This is who you are. But you have to add faith. You can't have so many questions that your faith disappear altogether. You need to add faith into the mix. Second thing I need to add is flexibility. Even more difficult to me than faith. You know, flexibility if the plan changes. So God said to me, go for it. Plan, prepare. I'm a planner. I'm a preparer. All those good things. But it counts against me if the plan change. If somebody else changes the plan. And I have just finished all the work and now the plan changes. Right? One of my greatest weaknesses. So God said, add flexibility. Add flexibility. You can do this. And I was like, okay, God, I need help. But let me tell you, it's a game changer. It really is for me. But God said to me, celebrate who you are. Don't compare. Don't change. Don't feel that you need to change. Just add one or two things. So I want to encourage you, don't feel that your personality is a curse or you should be more like somebody else. Be you. But let's add one or two things by the grace of God. I mean, in the mix and, and up our joy levels. Because for me, it was a game changer. Amen. Number three. Say goodbye to procrastination. Say goodbye to procrastination. Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you this morning how to do that. You know what the definition of tomorrow is? I'm going to do it tomorrow. It's a mystical land. A mystical land where 99% of all human productivity, motivation, and achievement is stored. It does not exist. Okay, it's a mystical land. 99% of all human productivity, achievement, and motivation is stored where? Tomorrow. Right. So for those of you who like to say, I'm going to do it tomorrow, you pick the right service to attend. Okay. Number one, how do we, how do we say goodbye to procrastination? We make a list. Number one, we make a list. It's not too difficult. You don't need a degree to make a list. There's wonderful apps available. You can go old school. You can go apps, whatever you want to do. Make a list. Okay. It's not for old and forgetful people. It's for smart people who want peace. I know some of you think it's, no, it's forgetful people who make a list. I can remember everything. No, it's for when you, want, when you want peace, because when you move it from here to a list, you'll get to it when you need to get to it, right? In theory, I know. But you can relax. 
It's somewhere documented. Make a list, number one. Number two, you need to attack your list. You can't be friendly with your list. It's not friends forever. It's attacking it. It's you going to kill mode. I'm not saying if on your list is have coffee with a friend, the coffee is now going to be like, you know. I'm just saying until that coffee is in your diary on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, you attack it until it's in your diary, right? You attack your list. You attack it. You're not friendly with it. You know, my goal is with emails. I'm doing this for free today, okay? Next time I'm charging you. My goal with my emails, I read it once. Once. Then I, I either respond, I file it and make it a note on my to-do list. If I leave it in my inbox, I must be able to see all my emails. One screen. So how many is that? 10? 12, maybe? Some of you have 3,000 emails in your inbox. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Can't live like that. My, my goal is one screen of emails. Must, I must either respond or carry it over to my to-do list, but you need to attack your list, right? Then, then, I'm not done with you yet. You must challenge yourself to do something that was on tomorrow's list today. If you have the capacity, I'm not saying you must work until 12 at night, okay? We're not going to go into overdrive now. I'm just saying for those of you who think tomorrow is so much time, I'll do it tomorrow, no. And then today you kind of take it easy, no. Challenge yourself to do something tomorrow that, no, today, today, that was supposed to be done tomorrow. Why? For when your boss starts thinking. I don't know about your boss. I have a boss. He walks into my office. He doesn't even ask, are you busy? Do you have time? No, he, he walks and he starts talking, right? And then he, when he starts with, I've been thinking, then I, praise God I've done something yesterday that was supposed to be done today because it means I have the capacity for my boss's thinking processes. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We create space for the unexpected and the unforeseen if we tick a few things today that must be actually done tomorrow. Right? You still with me? Okay. Then, a few times per week, we reorder, we reclutter, reclutter, reprioritize, not reclutter, <laughs> unclutter, unclutter, reprioritize, reorder. When? When you stand in the line and pick and pay and gets frustrated. You go to your to-do list. Tick, tick. Move on. Oh, I've done this already. Tick. And you feel in the serotonin levels. Oh, you know, that's all teaching on its own. But you feel good. You feel really good. Right? Reorder. Unclutter. You can do this. Say goodbye to procrastination. Right. The fourth point. We need to step out. Okay, we speak to our fears. We stop comparing. We say goodbye to procrastination. We step up, number four, step up and step out. One simple example. So when my boss decided we're going to live stream our services, all of a sudden the worship team, I mean, you guys just enjoy it. If you're not here, you just go in online, you're on holiday. Now the worship team, all of a sudden we are live on Facebook. And now on YouTube as well. Now, let me tell you, we didn't sign up for this. 
We are volunteers. Some of us are professional musicians. Some of us are really just volunteers. We didn't sign up to be live. Live. It's not, it's not like as if it's a recording and been edited and post-production. No, it's live on Facebook. So we had a choice. We could bury our gifts. So I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm not singing and then my voice is going to be heard on Facebook live. That's one option. Other option is we step up and we step out, right? And I'm very proud of our team because this is what they did. And it was not easy. You know, for some of them, this is it's a big challenge, you know. But they stepped up and they stepped out. And, you know, I, I really feel when I was preparing, some of you are called to leadership in some capacity. You are avoiding it because leadership is challenging for you. You prefer to follow. Not because God has not called you to lead, because leadership for you is challenging. So you're avoiding it. You're running from it. You're bearing your leadership gift. And I feel God says... Lead. You are called to lead, so lead. And if, if you do not know how to step up and step out, especially spiritually, come on Tuesday evenings to our Fivefold Academy, we're going to train you, right? To step out and to step up. Amen? Okay, just one or two last thoughts. Yo, I must go run more before I preach. I can be fitter. <laughs> What if you think this is too late? So, Sonica, I'm in my 40s, 50s, 60s. I've wasted 70s. Praise God for people on fire for Jesus. And I want to be like that one day, like Peter and Sally and Dave and Cheryl. I'm going to be like that. Flourishing in the house of the Lord. Amen? What if you feel, okay, Sonica, fine. It's good and well. I, I understand. But I've wasted so much time, treasure, and talent. What now? What do I do? I've missed so many opportunities. It's never too late. I really believe it's never too late because we serve a God of redemption. And as long as you breathe on this earth, there's time to multiply what God has given you. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, classic example, is known as the apostle of faith. He was a plumber by trade. Nothing wrong with plumbing, right? But he had a call upon his life and only at the age of 48... He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And after that, he became a healing evangelist. 48. I'm turning 48 this year. So watch the space. Anything's possible. It doesn't matter how old you are or young. You know, some of us feel too young. It's never too late to start. And I don't know how many of you have been uh, or know the person called Titch Smith. He actually was a, a rugby player, cricket player, player long, long, long ago. And at the age of 35, he ended up in a home for alcoholics. So he's, he was addicted to alcohol. His lifestyle was a mess. He lost everything, was very gifted, you know, looked like a five-talent guy. But he ended up in a home for alcoholics. He hit rock bottom and then, guess what happened? The God of redemption calls his name. He gives his life to Jesus, 1986. And in 2008, so he was in his late 50s, God calls him to start something, a home for vulnerable and orphaned children. And do you know what was born? Something in Durban called Live Village. How many of you have heard of Live Village? Few, okay. 
This man has started this in his late 50s. You know, and, and he's now on the advisory board of Shofal. He is, is not young anymore. But I love his story and his testimony. So no matter where you find yourself today, he was at the age of 35 in a home for alcoholics. He was down and out. He lost everything, his family, his wife, his career. But God wasn't done with him yet. And there was still time to multiply what God has given him. So I'm so inspired, you know. I'm so inspired by his story. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, you can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending, right? This is so powerful. We all have regrets. We all should have learned to play the guitar in, in you know, high school. All of you. <laughs> all of you should have done something maybe that you didn't do. We, we, and we can live in that place of regret for the rest of our lives. Or we can say, I can't change the past, but I can change the ending, Right? By being, by, by adding faith and faithfulness to what God has given us. You know, Craig Rochelle, he is a leadership expert. I'm listening more and more of his things. JP also mentioned some of it in his habits uh, sermon, first sermon in, in January. If you want to expose yourself to somebody who is diligent, is faithful, he is, he's got a gift. And he is he, gifted in making it accessible. Craig Rochelle, he says, faithfulness honors God, and God honors faithfulness. How awesome is that? It's that simple. If you forget everything I said today, just remember this. Faithfulness honors God. God honors faithfulness. And remember about tomorrow, the mystical land as well. Don't forget about that one. Okay, last, last illustration, then we're going to pray. Do you remember the miracle Jesus did when he fed the 5,000? Right. What did he use to to, to feed the 5,000? Yes, what was it? Five loaves, two fish. That's it. So how do we make this, how do we, how we make this applicable to today's sermon? Somebody took what they had in their hand or in their kitchen. Five loaves, two fish. What did they do with it? They applied, first of all, no, they didn't multiply. Jesus multiplied it. They, they took it, they applied Faithfulness, first of all. Somebody packed it in a bag. They took it, they packed it in a bag, they carried all the way to where Jesus was teaching. Faithfulness. And then at the right moment, what did they add more? Faith. So Jesus, this is all I have. I mean, surely this is not going to be able to feed all these people. And Jesus said, this is enough. It's more than enough. So how awesome is this? Whatever you have is enough for a miracle. The miracle is in God's hands. What is in our hands? Faith and faithfulness. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.